uh, we're privileged to have one of the best friends of Nazarene Bible College there is, Dr. Gary Haynes. Oh, would you just shake? What you need to know about Dr. Haynes is that he graduated from Nazarene Bible College in 1975, actually began his ministry in evangelism before he graduated, um, and Colorado Springs has been his home since. The alternative was Michigan, and he chose Colorado. I have asked him, I have asked Dr. Haynes to help us worship in a number of ways, and he's going to do that. Would you welcome him one more time? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Don't forget to spend time with the Lord. If we're not careful, we can get so busy serving him, we forget to take time out for him. And we need to take time out to get in that quiet place. That's where we receive new strength. Amen. It's so good to be with you. I have such fond memories every time I drive up on this holy hill. I was going to dust one of the old messages off. I've been preaching quite a while now. And then God began to deal with me about two weeks ago. And uh, it was for this service. Every time I thought about this service, the Lord began to give me some thoughts. And so I just began to write those thoughts down. I didn't look in a commentary. And I just let the Holy Spirit deal with me. And I went to Genesis 37 in the life of Joseph. Of all the Old Testament characters, he's my favorite. And I believe the Lord has given me some thoughts for you here tonight and those online. And I trust that that will be the case. And may the Lord bless what's going to happen on his behalf. Amen. I... Uh, I thought when I was 12 or 13 years of age, my father was a homicide detective, retired detective sergeant on the Detroit Police Force in Detroit, Michigan, and he was one of the smartest, most intelligent people I've ever known in my life, and I never got away with anything. Amen. He caught me doing everything wrong. Everything I did wrong, I got caught, man. I got busted. Amen. And I was thinking about this because when I was about 12 years old, I had a paper route. And uh, it was a nice summer day, and I wanted to go out with my buddies and play in the neighborhood, and I didn't want to deliver those papers. And so I, we had a field at the end of the street, and there was a ditch there. And I took, I had 45 customers, and I took those papers and I threw them in the ditch. And I went and played with my buddies. And uh, it never dawned to me some people are going to call and say, where's my papers, you know what I mean? Well, I came, about, I came home about 8 o'clock that night. The sun was still shining. It was summer. And my dad was sitting on the front porch. And the papers were right next to him. And I had to deliver those papers that night. My mom was crying. She said, he won't get home to about 10 o'clock. He said, he's delivering those papers. And before my dad died, I asked him how he ever found those papers, and he'd never tell me. But uh, I learned that you can ditch the newspapers. Uh, you shouldn't do that. But there's some things that we ought to put in a ditch. Amen. I said, there's some things we ought to throw away. And I want you to keep that in mind, because Joseph was put into a pit. And we see in Genesis 37 and following, and I don't have a lot of time, so I won't preach fast. You all have to listen fast, okay? Shake your head up and down, all right? Joseph had a dream. In verse 5, Joseph had a dream, 
And when he shared it and told it with his brothers, they hated him all the more. That's what it said. And the truth is, his brothers never liked him at all. Verse 3, now Israel or Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him, and that's a coat of many colors, of course. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. In verse 8, his brothers said, do you intend to rule over us? Newsflash, his brothers were jealous of him. And Jacob told Joseph to take some food to his brothers who were out grazing the flocks. In verse 17, when they saw him coming, they conspired and plotted to kill him. In verse 19, he said, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say a ferocious beast devoured him. You see a picture of malice. You see cruelty. They stripped him of his robe and they threw him into the cistern, into the pit, and then they sat down to eat a meal. And I thought, isn't that something? They beat him up, they take off his clothes, they throw him into a pit, and they said, let's eat. In verse 29, verse 28, then they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took him into Egypt. Now in these scriptures, we see rejection, ridicule, and he was ran out of town. And I've learned over these many years now that as we're obedient to God's call and God's plan and God's will and God's dream for our lives, the very same things can and usually happen to us, unfortunately. Rejection. Now mark it down. If you haven't already experienced it as you endeavor to fulfill God's plan and dream and destiny for your life, you will. It's going to happen. And if you let rejection get the best of you, it'll kill your dream. It's a dream killer. And when God called me and gave me a dream of destiny, it says in Proverbs to seek godly counsel. And I came from the nightclubs, as most of you know, and I, for six months, you know, God began to deal with me. And anybody that's been called, and you know this, you try to separate the human from the divine. Am I calling myself or is God calling me? In my case, my grandmother always thought that I'd be an evangelist. And so I had to ask myself, am I, is God calling me or is my grandma calling me, you know? And I went to a pastor, I went to a couple of pastors for advice. And God is my witness, it's an absolute truth. Uh, one pastor, I sat across the desk from him and I was sharing with him my intentions to come here to Nazarene Bible College. And here's what he told me. He said, Gary, don't go to NBC. He said, you got too much baggage. And his very words to me is, the doors of the church will be closed to you. And then he said, you'll be back in two weeks. Don't go out there. And I remember sitting across from him and my, I was just crying my eyes out. And I said, I know you tell me what you think you need to tell me. But I said, I disobeyed God once, and I'm not going to do it again. And I said, I'm going out there. I might be back in two weeks, and you can shake your finger at me. And said, I told you so, but I'm going out there first. And I, saw, I sold my house. That's all I had, a mobile home. Now, if I'm going to be back in two weeks, it would be a good idea to hang on to my mobile home. I don't want to be homeless, you know what I'm saying? But I was so sure of the dream and the destiny God had for me. And I cut all ties, and I came out here. And, and then after I got out of here, now you're going to laugh at this, but I had a red Cadillac convertible. I paid cash for it when I was in the nightclubs. And you, you can't imagine. I'm, I'm telling you, that was my coat of many colors while I was here. You cannot imagine. You cannot begin to imagine the jealousy that I had to put up with here. And, and, and I, 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 I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job when I got here, but I'm driving a red Cadillac. And, and, and the jealousy, you, you just couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. And I, I, I said, I'm not going to go out and buy a new Ford or Chevy just to please somebody. I didn't have a car payment. Mine was paid for, glory to God, hallelujah. Amen. And then I said, I'm going to develop character in the hearts of my enemies. Amen. 
<laughs> Amen. And then I, I, I wish I'd have read this book years ago, The Search for Significance. Our validation and our self-esteem and our self-worth is right here vertically. And if you're going to depend on others' opinions of you and, prefer, and you're going to try to perform for them, I got news for you. I, I got two words, good luck. It ain't going to happen, man. The only validation you need is of the Lord. The Ten Commandments. I mean, and my pastor preached this not too long ago. The first four are between us and the Lord. The last six are between us and people. Uh, I think God was telling us we need more help with people than we need with him. Amen. And then you go to Galatians 5 and Colossians 3. And, uh, and, and Corinthians, you see jealousy. You see envy. You see strife, unforgiveness, and bitterness. You see it there in the scriptures. I believe that's why Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, make them one. Even as you and I are one, that the world might know him through us. Amen. And you see ridicule, not only rejection by his brothers, but you see his brothers denigrated him. And they could not or would not speak a kind word to him. They conspired against him. And they said terrible things about him. And unfortunately, it's still going on today. I've traveled for 34 consecutive years now as an evangelist. I've seen staff relationships that, that are fractured at church where, where an associate would undermine the leadership of a senior pastor. I've seen congregation relationships that are polarizing uh, and, and creating division and strife within a church. I've seen personal relationships, interpersonal relationships that were fractured. I've seen, uh, I've seen professional relationships with brother and sister churches. Are, do you love me? Where brothers and sister churches were, were denigrating another church or denigrating another pastor. Let me tell you something, we should never do that. I said we should never do that. God is not pleased if we do that. I, Dr. G.B. Williamson, he, he said to us years ago, before you say anything about anybody, let it pass this little test. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Well, yeah, I can say it because it's true. Sometimes that borders on malicious truth. You're not saying to build somebody up. You're saying it to tear somebody down. Is it kind? Is what you're going to say kind? And then thirdly, is it absolutely necessary? Well, if it's not true, it's not kind, it's not necessary, be quiet. Amen. If you can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. Hello. And then some advice that Dr. Williamson gave to me personally. When I went to a church for a revival, they just voted out the pastor, God help us. He was there in a lame duck situation. I was so young and naive, I thought, we can turn this deal around. I, 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 didn't, I didn't face any problems the first two nights because I didn't preach anything very threatening. And then the third night, I got into Galatians 5. <laughs> Hello. Whoo! Man, I got in Galatians 5, and the trenches were dug. I mean, people just looked at me. They wanted to kill me, man. I'm serious. And one of the guys was a young man on the board. He was a banker. He believed in social drinking. And, and on the board. And some were smoking. And, and on the board. And, 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 and then there was a couple marriages in trouble. And the associate, he wanted to take the young adults and have swimming parties. And, and pastor knew there was two marriages that were very precarious. So he said, don't do it. But he, he, he went right around the pastor and did it anyway. And then here comes Gary. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. And I hit it. I was like a boil. And I was the needle. <laughs> and it splattered, man. And I mean to tell you, oh. And I called Mrs. Williamson. I called Dr. Paul Cunningham. I said, I'm in a mess. What am I going to do? They said, preach the truth and do it in love. And then I did. I wish I could tell you we had a revival, but we didn't. And then I came back home and some friends of mine down that area of the country, they're calling me and said, Gary, they're, they're tearing you apart down here. They're saying the pastor told you what to preach and da-da-da-da-da. 
I, coming from the streets of Detroit, I'll tell you the truth, I wanted to get on a plane and go down there and face them. How in the world, how in the world can you be saying what you're saying to be a Christian? Amen. You're tearing me apart, man. My integrity, my reputation's at stake. I went to Dr. Williamson for advice. He said, Gary, don't go down there, son. He said, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And put a lie to their accusation by the validity of your testimony. Some of the people here, they won't believe it anyway. And then he said this, sooner or later, God will vindicate you. He said, just give God time and he'll vindicate you. Ridicule. And then they ran out of town for 20 pieces of silver. I've seen over these many years now good men, godly men in the ministry who were vilified and ran out of town, and they did not deserve it. And that pastor I just talked about was one of them. <laughs> On the other hand, I've seen some in the ministry, they, sh they should have been replaced. Amen. You brought me here to tell you the truth, didn't you? Amen. The pit, the palace, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt to Potiphar's house, one of Pharaoh's officials. And here at Potiphar's house, Joseph was destined to face the more difficult test. First of all, please note in verse 2, this is so important. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in his Egyptian master's house. And, you know, he came from the pit, now he's in the palace. I was thinking, he's probably saying, I'm moving on up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> to the east side. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm going to get a piece of the pie. Amen. In verse 3, and when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and, because, and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and trusted to his care everything that he owed. Wow. And then Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. All he had to do is decide what I'm going to eat today. And Joseph, it says in verse 6, was well built and very handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And she tried to seduce him, but he refused. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, I mean, she was relentless. It says in the scriptures, he refused to go to bed with her. I'll not do this. I'm maintaining my integrity. And he didn't even want to be around her. That's what it says. He not only went to be, I don't want your emails and don't send me, don't, don't call my cell phone. Amen. Don't, I don't want anything to do with you. Stay away from me. <laughs> Keep going, Gary. We were warned over and over again when I was here at NBC, there's two areas you've got to guard against in the ministry, and they drilled it into us when I was here. Women and money. And now, with more women going to ministry, it's men and money. <laughs> Amen. That wasn't supposed to be funny. It came out that way. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're married, you've got to guard your relationship with your spouse. And don't let, listen to this, don't let emotional disconnection take place. If you allow emotional disconnection to take place, you are going to be very vulnerable. And when, you, when you're emotionally disconnected, that's when Satan will bring somebody else into the picture. Amen. And so you've got to find a balance between your ministry and your family. And even here when you're going to school, you've got to find that balance with God's help. You know, Dr. Billy Graham would never allow himself to be anywhere alone with a woman except his wife. And then we pray the Lord's Prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what God says? Do your part, buster. If you know something's wrong for you, stay away from it. And he won't even go near her. Amen. He won't even go near her. And then money. It's absolutely essential to have integrity in your finances. 
Don't shoot the messenger tonight. But if you're not tithing, you don't even belong in the ministry. I said, if you're not tithing, and there was guys when I was here that wouldn't tithe. If you're not tithing, you don't belong in the ministry. Dr. Tim Stearman, our friend at Denver First Church, he's got a church credit card. And he said that he could really take advantage as senior pastor of that credit card. But he says, and rightfully so, that he has to live at a higher standard because of the trust that the church has placed in him. And Joseph would not compromise his integrity, his morality, or his character. And he paid a price, a high price. In verse 13, she accused him of rape, something that he did not do. And then he was thrown into prison. So you see the pit, rejection, ridicule, ran out of town. You see the, 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 the palace where he had to face these other temptations. And now the prison. Even here, God was still preparing him and shaping him and molding him for his future destiny. In chapter 39, but while Joseph was there in prison, watch, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden, he also put Joseph in charge of all that was held in the prison. He was responsible for all that was done there. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything at all under Joseph's care. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know what I've learned over the years? There's a price to be paid for God's favor and anointing. You want the anointing of the Holy Spirit? You want God's favor? You show me someone that's anointed of the Lord and got God's favor on their life and their ministry. I'll show you someone that's paid a price somewhere. There's always a price. There's always a price to pay if you want the anointing in God's favor. And it was here that I believe, and this is where the Lord dealt with me the last two weeks, that Joseph's dream and his call and his destiny was really tested. I mean, he's been through some tests. But what the Lord showed me a couple of weeks ago, we see that Pharaoh was angry at two of his officials, the chief cupbearer and the, and the baker. And he put him in prison. And, and wouldn't you know it, they were assigned to Joseph. Isn't that a coincidence? And one night they, they, they all had a dream. Each of them had a dream. In verse 6, and Joseph saw that they were dejected. And, and look what he does. He said, why are your faces so sad today? Now, it, it's interesting to me, after all that he's been through, the pit, the palace, and all this stuff that's gone on, he still cares about the needs of others. I said, after all he's been through, he still cares about the needs of others. And, and, he, and he says, what's going on? They said, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. Now, maybe you won't see this, but I did. Now, to me, this was a very crucial test for Joseph. And I'll tell you why. Because it was at this point, after all that he's been through, he could have easily surrendered his dream and his call and his destiny. I mean, think about it. He could have said, dreams? You got a dream? Well, let me tell you something about dreams. I had a dream once. And ever since I declared it and I shared it with others, I've had nothing but problems. I've had one problem after another. I was rejected. I was ridiculed. I was ran out of town. My own brothers didn't accept me. I was falsely accused of rape. I've been thrown in this prison for something I've never done. Dreams? you got to be kidding me. Don't even go there. Get it out of your mind. You're kidding yourself. All the experiences I've been through, they've killed my dream. I've had so many dream killers with the pit and the palace. I surrendered my dream a long time ago. He could have said that, but he didn't. On the contrary, he says in chapter 40, verse 8, do not all interpretations belong to God? He says, tell me your dream. Notice his attitude. His attitude is my dream, my call, my plan, my destiny hasn't been fulfilled yet, but it will.
God is still God, and I know his voice in my life, and I'm still hanging in there, and I'm still hanging on to my dream, and if you've got a dream, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you realize God's plan for your life. Joseph interpretations dreams, these dreams, the cupbearer was thrilled, the baker wished you to never ask. Amen. And when the cupbearer was released to Joseph, Joseph said, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me some kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I haven't done anything to belong in this dungeon. But the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. In two more years, he's still in prison. Unbelievable. Now, maybe you wouldn't have done this. You're so righteous, you wouldn't have done this. It would have been me. I might have said, Lord, I don't know what in the world's going on here. I, I thought I, I heard your voice. The cupbearer's cup dream came true. How come the dream you gave to me years ago hasn't happened yet? But we see again that a delay is not a denial. And Joseph's persevering faith and obedience and right spirit, I said right spirit, is going to be honored. He's about to realize God's destiny to be prime minister. Pharaoh had a dream. The chief cupbearer finally remembers to recommend Joseph. In 41, chapter 41, verse 14, Pharaoh sends for Joseph, who shaved and cleaned up and went into the presence of the king. He interprets Pharaoh's dream regarding seven good years and seven years of famine. It happened just like he said it would. And Pharaoh put him in charge of all of Egypt, second in command only himself. And Joseph's brothers, you know the story, but they're sent into Egypt to get some food. There was the famine. Joseph recognizes them. Long story short, they don't recognize him. And then later on, when they finally realize who he is, they were afraid. And they were afraid because of the way they treated him. But he made that great declaration in chapter 50, verse 20. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving of many lives. Go get daddy. Go get daddy. And get the family. And bring them in here. Now watch this. Jacob and his family came into Egypt, and, and, and Joseph put them in the land of Goshen. And they were 70 in number. Now watch this. 70 in number. That's not a great nation. But once they were here, they grew in number. Then after Joseph dies, of course, the exodus took place. But you see the faithfulness of God. And God honored not only his promise to Joseph, but also to Abraham as well. If you go back to Genesis 17, you'll see God promised Abraham he's going to be a father of a great nation. Can I get an amen? Think about it. The promise to Abraham is now becoming a reality in the life of Joseph. You got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Was it great, great, great grandson? And the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 17 is now coming into fruition. What he had promised Abraham generations before. Now what would have happened if Joseph would have surrendered his dream? What if he would have allowed all the trials and tests and the way people treated him to kill his dream? I call them dream killers. Listen, with all the things and all the stuff that he went through, the pit, the palace, the prison, watch this. God was working out his plan all along. Shaping him, molding him, guiding him, preparing him to fulfill his divine destiny. In closing, let me just say that God has given every one of you a dream, a call, a plan. If that wasn't true, 
you wouldn't even be here. And for those that are online, if that wasn't true, you wouldn't be going through all you have to go through online to, to, to get prepared. God has placed a call on your life. But I got to tell you, here at NBC, while you're here, and even online, although I've never been online, but I, I know they face some problems. Anytime, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principles and powers we can't see. Amen. But I got to tell you, in all honesty, while you're here and even after you leave, you're going to be tested and tried over and over and over and over and over again. But behind it all, I said behind it all, God is working on you. And he's working for you. For your good and his glory. And my advice to you tonight, what God told me the last two weeks, he said, Gary, tell that crowd, ditch the dream killers. Ditch the dream killers. Ditch the dream killers. Get rid of them. Don't allow your mind to go there. Listen to me. Don't ever surrender your dream. Don't let anybody or anything rob you mentally, emotionally, spiritually of God, what God wants to do and is doing in your life. Ditch the dream killers. Don't give in. Don't give out. Don't give up. God is working out his plan of divine destiny for you. You have an influence, a future influence, where God is going to use you. And Satan would love to rob you of it. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's preparing you. Ditch the dream killers. And all God's people said. That's where the, all these things that could rob you of your dream, throw them in the ditch, man. Amen. I ain't going there. I could, I, could, I could give you some illustrations when I was here, things that Satan was doing against me. I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad I persevered. And now it's been 34 consecutive years. Amen. Bless the name of the Lord. Amen. And when I got here, I was so discouraged with my red Cadillac. I got out here. It was culture shock, man. I came from the streets. And now I'm in this climate, this spiritual climate. And the first two months I was here, my mind was swimming. But Dr. Oak was talking about eschatology and soteriology. I was like a deer in the headlights, man. I'm serious. And I went to Dr. Oak. I said, I can't go home because the church gave me a love offering and I've already spent it. I said, I can't stay because I don't know what you're talking about. But he did, I went in for discipline. I went in for sympathy. He gave me discipline. He said, Brother Haynes, your brain's been on a vacation. That's what he told me. I swear to God. And I said, but he said, don't butt me. I said, but he said, don't butt me. I said, hey, but don't butt me. I want you to keep showing up. You're in a cloud, and you're going to punch through to a whole new dimension of learning. He was absolutely right. But you know what the turning point was for me two months after I was here? If the musicians would come, please. Two months after I was here, we had chapel in the old sanctuary at First Church. Chapel. When, I, when we went to chapel, we had to drive down the hill, especially in snowy weather. And somebody in the car would say, who's in chapel today? Like, if they didn't like the guy, they weren't going to go. If they didn't like it, they're going to go to Denny's. And I'm driving that day. And somebody said, who's in chapel? I said, God's in chapel. We're going. So there. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 
I went into chapel that day. I'm, I'm standing in an apartment over here on Airport Road in the Circle. It was, a, it was a kitchenette. It had a bed, and the bed was right off the, the front room. It was all one room. And then a small stove, a small refrigerator, a small, uh, just everything was small. It couldn't have been seven or a small bathroom, everything. But I had air conditioning. I had a colored TV. Amen. Driving my red Cadillac. Amen. <laughs> and I, I, but I was homesick. I was lonely. Oh, man. And I, I wasn't getting it at that point. And then I came to chapel that morning. I heard a man I never heard before, but I've never forgot him, Dr. Howard Hamlin. He was a neurosurgeon, wasn't he? And he did a lot of mission work. I can't tell you his text. I can't tell you the message. But I will never forget as long as I live his closing illustration. It was a turning point for me. He talked about this older couple. It wasn't Smelzenbach. But an older couple that went to Africa to evangelize five villages. And they were, they were getting close to retirement. Long story short, the husband got sick and they knew he was going to die, so he made his wife promise before he died that she wouldn't go back to the States until they accomplished what they set out to do. They're on the threshold of seeing revival take place. He said, please don't leave until we see it happen. This is before email and cell phones. Kansas City tried to get, him to get her to come back after he died, and she sent word back, I'm not coming back. This went back and forth for a couple months. Then finally, the missions board... They said, please come home and talk to us. Would you start that for me on that? And, 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 and so she went and had a meeting there in Kansas City. And that, that meeting turned out to be an upper room experience. The Holy Spirit just invaded that place. And as she articulated what they went over there to do and how close they were, with the presence of the Lord so real, against their better judgment, they allowed her to go back. And every morning, and this is what, what, what got me, every morning, she'd sell her donkey. She had a donkey. And she'd put her provisions on that donkey. And she's in her late 60s. And she would ride these steep, rocky, precarious trails on this donkey. She didn't have running water. She didn't have toilet facilities. She didn't have electricity. She didn't have a bicycle. She didn't have a car. From dusk to dawn, she would ride these steep, rocky trails. Why? For the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after about a year, it happened. And a revival broke out. And those villages were evangelized. Somebody say amen. When he shared that story that morning, this song we're going to sing in just a minute, they began to sing it. There was no official invitation. He didn't give an invitation. But as we sang this song, God the Holy Spirit started invading me. And the longer I heard the song, I thought about that lady riding these trails on a donkey. I felt so embarrassed and so humiliated. Here I am driving a Cadillac living in a nice apartment, color TV, running water, air condition. She's riding these trails on a donkey for Jesus. 
And as we sing this great old hymn, the Spirit of God fell on that service. And I went to the altar. And I guess after I went, some others began to come. I don't know who was there, and I don't know what they're praying about. I was out in the heavenly somewhere. Amen. And I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, I'm not getting up from this altar until you gave me what you gave her. Whatever you gave her, I want it. Fill me with your presence and your power, a sense of commitment and compassion. I am not getting up from this altar until you do for me what you did for her. And he flooded me that morning. Praise his holy name. And that set the tone for the rest of the time I was here. Well, bless God. Not a memory for Dr. Hamlin. And in honor of that missionary, whoever it was, we're going to sing this course. I'll live for him who died for me. Don't let the enemy rob you of the dream and the plan, the call that God's got on your life. You hear me? Ditch the dream killers. I said ditch the dream killers. Everybody say it. Ditch the dream killers. Amen. I don't know if he's calling you to sing, preach, be a missionary, or be a pastor, be a pastor's wife. I don't know what he's calling you to, but I know one ministry we all can have, and that's the ministry of encouragement. Paul said to encourage one another. Amen. So I want you to turn around and tell 100 people tonight that you love them. Okay, go ahead. You're dismissed. Tell 100 people I love you. Amen. Play that again for us, would you?